Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast. We take questions from our church family, do our best to answer them from a biblical worldview, and it's our privilege to do that and to serve the Lord's Church here locally at Southern Hills Baptist Church. Doug Melton is our lead pastor. Randy Woodall is our pastor of missions and evangelism. My name is Daniel Snow. I get to be pastor to young adults. Uh, always know you can share this podcast, you can subscribe, you can rate, um, whatever would make it most useful. And if you want to turn in questions, you can email three questions podcast at myshbc.com. That's with the number three. Uh, you can go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can text 505-258-2076. All questions will be kept anonymous. And um, guys, as we're headed towards Christmas, um, any plans that you guys have for Christmas? Yeah, you know, again, as we go through life, uh, this Christmas will be different. It may very well be that on Christmas Day, it is just landing me. And so gotcha. we're we're actually trying to think through what are some things that we could do to help some folks yeah. on, on Christmas Day, since it'll be, just be the two of us. Yeah, cool. trying, trying to think what would that look like. Very cool. Yeah, yeah we may be facing some a similar scenario, but, you know, I think we can look at this whole coronavirus and some of the social lockdown thing as a blessing because this really could be a great time to uh, to focus on Christmas, the, its meaning, its purpose. It may take a little bit of all the party element out of it and really give us a chance as families to to really focus on why why do we even celebrate Christmas and to focus again on that that real message of what Christmas is about and the incredible fact hmm. that God, God chose to become a little baby. I mean, yeah. That's just incredible. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. It is kind of a big deal. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. We were planning to do something different this year. And that is instead of doing gifts to just go on a family vacation to ski and snowboard. And while I was on the deer stand this weekend, got an email that said, not going to work out uh, for the rental place that we were going to stay. So we'll figure something out, and we'll have a good time as a family. But um, We could all go deer hunting as a family. There you go. Get a family-sized <laughs> deer stand, and there you go. The family that freezes together <laughs> stays together. Uh, okay. All right. So first question for today actually goes to Randy, and it is. First. There you go. Uh, it is, I'm called to be a witness of Jesus but most of my friends and acquaintances are fellow Christians. What are some ideas of how I can intentionally build friendships with non-Christians? I cannot tell you how much I love this question. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I love the fact, first of all, exactly right. Every one of us is called to be a witness of our Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it always bothers me when some people think they're, say, you know, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Personally, biblically, the way I read the gifts, that's not a gift of evangelism. There are people that are called to be evangelists yeah. in the church. But all of us have the reasonable expectation from God that we will go out as we're going and tell people the incredible things he's done in our lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you would never think you'd work with somebody for five years and they would not know you were married. Right. But, but you, because you're going to talk about your wife and yeah. your family. Yeah. 
how silly would it be if you could be with somebody, a neighbor, a friend for five years, and them not know you were a Christian? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a wonderful concept, a, a wonderful question about something that we truly should be preoccupied with, and that is how can I be intentional about reaching lost people, especially when my circle of friends are all believers. Yeah. Okay, so here's some um, we're going to take this pra- more in a more practical direction. First of all, I'd say don't assume your friends are all Christians. Mm-hmm. And don't even assume that just because somebody goes to church or says they're a Christian that they are. Uh Doug, how many times have we heard people's testimonies in our church that they were going to church, doing all the, going through all the motions and then some point later on as an adult they come to realize I've never really trusted Christ. So don't just assume that because somebody is wearing the wearing the shirt, you know, uh, the T-shirt, yeah. that they really yeah. are uh, a believer. <laughs> well, there's plenty night, of T-shirts to wear. Oh, yeah. yeah. Last night when we were even discussing the issue of Charles Wesley, uh, yeah, went exactly. over to the Americas yeah. to convert Indians, and who's going to convert me? Came back, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So, so don't make that assumption, and don't be afraid. If your friend is a Christian, he's going to love the fact that you tr- that you're sharing Jesus with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't don't worry about that. It's Here's good. the other thing I'd say that that intentionality. Uh, you know, uh, the, there's a, a, a economist by the name of Dunbar, and Malcolm Gladwell quotes him in his book uh, Turning Points, things like that, or Tipping Points. Uh, but anyway, they call it the Rule of One Hundred and Fifty, and that basically is. Most human beings, if you add up every person you know by name, it'll come out to about 150 people. Mm. Uh, that seems to be about the maximum number of folks that we can handle or juggle yeah. at one time. And then there's Doug Melton. And then there's Doug Melton. Yeah, you do have those few <laughs> who can, who not only know. That's very uh, nice of you to say that, Larry. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Doug. Yeah. Doug who? <laughs> <laughs> but but sit down and and uh, Oscar Rob uh, Oscar Robertson he played basketball Oscar Thompson wrote a book a long time ago <laughs> called Concentric Circles of Concern and just sit down and look okay who are my family who are the people in my family who may not know Christ yeah. cousins uncles grandparents nephews nieces uh, that's those are the easiest people to try to reach then look at friends then look at acquaintances coworkers people like that. Then look at those people who you may know by name because, you know, she's, you know, the waitress at the diner where you eat breakfast on Fridays, or this is the cashier at Walmart Mm -hmm. that you like to talk to every once in a while. And then make an intentional plan. How can I engage those people? Secondly, and this is, this one is a little bit debatable in some people's circles. While having a relationship with a person makes it easier to share Christ, it is not essential for evangelism that you have a relationship with that person. What is essential for that person to to really be able to accept and engage it is they either need to have some trust in you or they need to have some trust in the message that you're sharing. And so, you know, you if you have a relationship, yeah. build on that. But just because you don't have a relationship with somebody Somebody else may have already been talking to that person about Christ. Now, when you come along, a total stranger, and start sharing it, those two things may fit together to help that person go, wow, maybe God's trying to say something to me here. You're another link in that chain. Exactly right. So uh, uh, so don't be afraid of what we would call cold turkey evangelism. You know, And, and remember, the Bible calls us to make disciples. 
That's more than just talking about Jesus. It's tell, helping people understand that Jesus isn't just fire insurance against mm-hmm. hell. Jesus is a life, mm-hmm. a different life. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, we really want to share with people. And lastly, I'd say, don't be, if you're, if you're going to be intentional about being a gospel witness, you can't be, you can't have an aversion to risk. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. going to risk friendships. It's going to risk job promotions. Um, it's going to risk ridicule uh, yeah. because you know you're going to get called the crazy person who talks to everybody about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's a whole lot better than looking back and saying, "Man, look at all the people I know who died and are in hell right now, and I never talked to them about Jesus." I would rather I would rather run the risk of maybe offending a few people by talking to them about Jesus than maybe condemning some because I may be the only Christian they know by not talking to them about Jesus. Yeah. Or look at all the people I know who don't know that I love Jesus. Yeah. Kind of like you talked about with, with our spouses. Yeah, exactly. Which may call into question my own discipleship. If I, if I can live a Christian life and never talk about Jesus, there's something wrong with my Christian Mm -hmm. life. That's good. Okay. All right. And so, Douglas, next question is coming your way, and it is, how can I be an agent for good in developing the kind of community that God wants in the local church? Oh, man, my goodness, that is wonderful. Again, I would say, echoing what Randy just said, what a great question to ask, and and I love answering that. First of all, let's ask the question, well, what kind of community does, does God want? Um and, and and we would we would start with scripture helping us understand that um in in Acts chapter two we start seeing a picture of what that community looks like. Yeah. Uh they were together, mm-hmm. there was a desire for uh thinking more highly of others than you do of yourself, uh a Christ centeredness to the community, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, scripture—it's a Bible-based. Uh, they're using Bible as the guide. Uh, there's a desire for righteousness, justice, peace. Uh, we pull in Micah six eight: Do mm. justice, yeah. uh, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. These are all things. Uh, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, what kind of community did Christ want? Uh, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Uh, again, if someone asks for your, your uh, cloak, give them your coat as well. Yeah. Uh, all of these things, go one mile, go two miles. That's the kind of community that, that God desires for us, not a self-centered, materialistic Society. That's that's not the community that God desires, mm-hmm. and so then we ask, we can ask the question: uh, How can I be an agent for good? Mm-hmm. Well, again, uh, when the rich young ruler came running up to Jesus, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? There is none good but one." And so, to be an agent for good, I've got to be doing the things of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the things that God is calling me to. And so in essence, we could almost give what might v- be viewed as an oversimplistic answer to this. How can I be an agent for good? Be Christ. Mm-hmm. 
first of all, we've, we've, I've got to know that Christ lives in my heart. And by that, again, not just Christ has come into my heart, Christ lives in my heart. Uh, that the life that people are seeing in me is an evidence of Christ in me. And uh, that is what it means to be an agent for good. Again, to put some practical feet to it, thinking more highly of others than we do of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, pursuing not my kingdom, but the kingdom of God in a person's life, uh, helping them, yeah, uh, doing whatever I can to be gracious, uh, not letting any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is useful for building the other up, not mm-hmm. building me up, but building others up. That, to me, is being an agent for good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, putting other people first, and and just an which I think ties just to an attitude of generosity towards one another. I mean, it, there's just something about as recipients of the ultimate generosity when we extend that out without constantly looking for a return from our brothers and sisters in the church body. Like, there's just something about that that just allows us to know, hey, like he or she, they're they're in my corner, like they. They they want good for me. Yeah, and I think too we have recognized. You look around the the unsaved, unchurched world still does things that people say, "Oh, well, that's good. That was a good thing to do. That was a kind thing to do." But I think we have to recognize that the ultimate, the greatest good, mm-hmm. are are is good that's done out of a love for God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's why it's always love the Lord is the greatest commandment and love your neighbors the second. Mm-hmm. Because I can't truly love my neighbor and do good for my community if I don't have that solid foundation of an intense love for the Lord in my heart. Mm-hmm. I'll do things that look good, but ultimate good always comes from God and that flows through that relationship. So That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And uh, the question I've got today is, is it okay to do anything culturally that is not forbidden biblically? And um, so this is one of those cultural questions, and it's a, it's a great one. Two scriptures that come to my mind off the bat are, are and the, I guess the third one even too, and they're all from 1 Corinthians. Twice in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this attitude of, and, and in, in the ESV, it's in quotes. It's like a slogan that the church must have been kind of passing around amongst themselves. And the slogan is, all things are lawful for me. And, and so apparently there was just kind of this motto among the church body in Corinth that, hey, I'm in Christ. All things are lawful for me. And so Paul addresses it uh, in chapter 6 and says, all things are lawful, f- all, all things are lawful for me, in quotes, and then un- unquote, but not all things are helpful. And then again, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything, or I will not be enslaved by anything. Um, so here he's talking about, look, okay, yeah, I do have a lot of freedom in Christ. Um, I He has paid the price. My position with God is not based on my performance. It's based on the performance of Christ. However, yeah, he has, number one, he has given me guidelines for what my life looks like in honoring him, 
not in earning my salvation, but in honoring the one who saved me. Um, there are parameters, and the person even in the question says admits that because there are things that are forbidden biblically. Um, but even in the things that aren't particularly forbidden, there should be wisdom used. And, and so I should ask myself, is this, even though I may have freedom in this and I don't see any biblical, anything that forbids this for me, is it helpful? Uh, is it helpful? Yes, for me in my walk with the Lord, but I also really need to be thinking heavily, is it helpful to the people around me? Mm-hmm. Um, both non-Christians, but really it seems like the big focus for Paul here is for my brothers and sisters, uh, other Christians. So is it helpful for them, for me to do this thing? Um, and then all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, I will not be enslaved by anything, just because it's popular, just because it's whatever, um, doesn't mean I am going to submit myself to that if I see that, you know, this really isn't helpful um, to the people around me. Um, Okay, then in chapter 10, he addresses that same little motto that, that the church in Corinth was using. So again, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, all things are lawful for me, but but not all things build up. And again, it's just that same idea of asking myself, okay, yeah, I don't see any biblical forbidding for this, but will it build up my brothers and sisters around me, or will it tear them down? That's good. And I need to think that through. Um, and then the verse right after that, verse 24 in chapter 10 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So again, we keep finding because we have been, we have been given a selfless love in Christ because of what he came to accomplish for us. He did not owe it to me. Uh, he did not, it was, there's nothing I have to offer in return as a trade. It was the ultimate selfless act of all the universe. And as a recipient of that, I am to reflect that out to others and not just be thinking about, okay, what's in it for me, but thinking about, okay, how will this affect, will this build up or tear down? Can I help or am I going to harm? And um, one commentator put it this way, a Christian's freedom is limited by how their actions affect other Christians. And I do think that's the point Paul's making. Um, in both those passages, in chapter 6, it's uh, it's about um, basically sexual ethics. Um, in chapter 10, it's it's about food um, and the types of food that are being consumed. But I think the principle spans out further than even those specific issues. Okay, one last reference, and it's still 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So in the middle of those two, Paul talks about his own freedom and the way he uses his own freedom in Christ. And he says um, in, in chapter 9 that basically he will be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Um, that's where he, he says, you know, to those who are under the law, I, I interact in that culture like one who's under the law, even though I'm not. And he says to those who are not under the law, I interact with that culture in, in, the, in that way. Because I'm not under the law, so to speak, although I am under the law of Christ, he says. Um, and uh, and so he interacts with these different cultures in different ways to build bridges rather than barriers. 
for the sake of the gospel. Um, he is, and so it just it shows us that we do have freedom in Christ to adapt to various cultures for the sake of the gospel. What could be called healthy gospel contextualization, and that shouldn't mean watering down the gospel. That shouldn't mean um, any in any way cheapening. Uh, or or lessening our value of scripture or cheapening the gospel it should mean holding tightly to those things and walking into any particular cultural setting and saying okay in what ways can i build bridges here instead of barriers for the sake of the gospel that's good so excellent i love it i love it excellent answer and and uh, the gospel contextualization i love that because the message, it doesn't change. No way. But, boy, we need to be uh, aware that the gospel can go into every culture. And so what should what can I do to help a person understand the message? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Awesome, guys. Um, well, good stuff to think about, good stuff to talk about. It's because you guys are turning in great questions. So thank you, and please keep them coming. And... Uh, Jeremy Johnson, thanks for producing this podcast. You guys that listen all over the place in different settings, thanks for making that time. And remember, the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions. <laughs>